0: there welcome everybody this is atypical parenting and i'm dawn tree and i have a wonderful guest today dr larry waldman who is a semi-retired certified school psychologist and also licensed clinical forensic psychologist he's in phoenix arizona and he has been kind enough to spend some time with us today. He had a private practice where he focused on children, teens, parents, couples, and adults. Um, and he did that for 45 years, which is pretty impressive. So I'm glad you joined us um, to listen. And I'm so happy, Dr. Waldman, that you're here with us. Oh, well,
1: thank you. Glad to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Well, as you indicated, uh, I'm a, as I call it, semi-retired, uh, uh, a clinical forensic psychologist, uh, in that uh, I uh, no longer uh, see patients. Uh, I retired from active practice uh, in at the end of 2015, sold the building and things like that. But I, I remain in the field uh, in, in that I, uh, uh, I, I, I speak professionally, I write, uh, I've uh, done uh, six books, uh, uh, several, two of them, three of them, basically, on, on parenting. Uh, so I, uh, I try to stay uh, you know, fairly busy in my semi-retirement, if you will.
0: I love your goal of helping parents to raise resilient kids, because I feel like that is something that's, like, over time getting harder and harder to find. In humans in general is resiliency.
1: It's, it's true, you know, know, kids don't come with a manual. Uh, and it, it, it always surprises me that, you know, people go into this, uh, very significant responsibility of raising a human being and they're basically doing it by the seat of their pants. Yeah. And as we talked about earlier, when you have an exceptional child, it it makes the job even tougher.
0: Right. And especially when we're talking about autism and resiliency, you know, resiliency is sort of in my mind about the ability to tolerate whatever comes your way. Right. And for kids on the spectrum, you know, changing routines and patterns and new things like those are all extra hard for them. And in the sense, I think you said it perfectly. You know, they really are exceptional children.
1: Oh, they are. Yeah uh, they they present uh, they they present significant uh, significant challenges. Many of them are are right in some in some areas, and sometimes ex- excessively so. Um, uh, but of course, typically, they're uh, usually uh, emotionally immature. Uh, certainly, uh, socially uh, behind. Uh, often, um, and and so they are uh, they are a challenge to raise, for sure.
0: What advice would you give parents who are just sort of in the midst of this, maybe with like older school-age children or young teens, and they're just, you know, they are trying to figure out how to help their kids get some more independence? Well,
1: I come from what is called a, a behavioral model. There are in fact, four different schools of psychology out there, and obviously I'm familiar with all of them, but when it comes to parenting, I believe the behavioral approach makes the most sense. It's the it's the easiest to comprehend, for sure, uh, and once you get it, it's somewhat difficult to implement, but... When you get it, it works very well. So the behavioral model is based on this notion that you know, how you know, we develop you know, is essentially based on the consequences of our behavior. Okay? So if you want to take a very broad view, who and what we become is more or less the sum total of the consequences of all our behaviors up till now, in in, in a nutshell, okay? So then if we look at it from that perspective, it then becomes incumbent upon the parent to consistently apply the appropriate consequences to their child's behavior. I'm trying to make this as as simple as I can. Uh, and, and that's what it's really all about so it, it provides parents if you will um, uh, a theory uh, it, it provides them some guidelines to operate with um, and 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 it ho- hopefully helps them understand why is it that we're doing this or saying this and things like that so from the beginning and 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 certainly well into pre-adolescence. We have to ask ourselves then, what what is one of the most valuable things we we parents can provide to to our kids? What it comes down to is our attention, our recognition. So the $64 question then becomes, when do we provide it? Under what conditions do parents provide their valuable attention to their kids. Now, this has been studied, and unfortunately, what the data seems to suggest is that about 95% of the time, when the child is misbehaving, they get their parents' attention. On the other hand, less than 10% of the time, when the child is behaving appropriately, do they get parental attention. So if we go back to our basic premise that attention is one of the most valuable commodities we can dispense to our kids, then how would we expect a child living under those circumstances to behave?
0: Wow. That's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it.
1: Well, and then, of course, if we add an exceptional child to the mix, the system gets even more distorted. So First and foremost, then, it becomes necessary that if the parent understands this, that one of the things then they have to do, and and when I work with parents, and I worked with hundreds, if not maybe a thousand or more in my career, is one of the first things I would stress is, catch the kid when they're good. Unfortunately, parents get it reversed. Most parents are on the lookout for inappropriate behavior and that's when they react. But I try to reverse that paradigm and get them to look for the good behavior and that's when we respond.
0: What are parents to do when the bad behaviors do occur? Well, again,
1: And and of course, parents always say that when when they would come into my office, that was usually one of the first questions they they would ask. Well, okay, you know, I'd start talking about increasing appropriate behavior, and they'd say, "Yeah, okay, okay, but what about when they do the bad stuff?" (laughs) Well,
0: (laughs) I guess I asked the question everybody wants to know. Exactly.
1: Well, but see, here here's the rub, if you will. If we don't give the child a clear alternative way to get the attention they deserve and want, then we leave them little opportunity, you know, you know, to, to get the attention otherwise, you see. So it really still comes back to first and foremost, and most importantly, is that the parent you know, in this intervention, if you will, really has to spend significant effort in teaching the child, basically, it pays off to be good. When that's in place, and the child has now come to recognize, gee, you know, when I follow directions, or when I do this, you know, mom or dad, you they praise me, they hug me. They 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 play checkers with me. We go out for walks. My mommy has me bake brownies together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Gee, you know, life is good when I do this. You see, and and so you know that really becomes the first intervention. Uh, and again, I'm talking. Uh, the whole spectrum if you will uh, not referring to autism per se but the whole spectrum of kids from normal to if you will exceptional it applies across the board
0: I'm thinking about myself as a young mother and you know having a son with autism uh, they can be very labor intensive right like they he was exceptional he was brilliant and yet socially immature and God, so talkative and wanting to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I found myself exhausted and overwhelmed a lot of times. And so trying to reinforce those positive behaviors, because those are wonderful things, right? The social connection and and everything, but it's it was exhausting. And so I did find myself checking out a lot, I think. And so how do you suggest parents kind of get around that when there's so many good things to give attention to, but yet you don't have the capacity to give attention, you know, as much as the child needs or wants?
1: Well, and and you make a good point, of course. Uh, As we reinforce, yes, it it takes energy. There's no question. On the other hand, putting out temper tantrums and, and struggling, you know, to get the child to do the things he, he or she's supposed to do, frankly, takes more. You know, so we have to do that. Now, at the same time, there are things we can do, particularly as the kid gets a little older, by saying, uh, you know, Johnny or Susie, You know, I have some work to do or whatever. So I'm going to go into my office or I'm going to do this, you know, for 45 minutes or so, and you can go play here or whatever, or or watch a TV program and so on. But at two o'clock, if you have left me alone and let me finish my work at two o'clock, we will go and do whatever, play a board game, play chess, Bake brownies, take a walk, take a bike ride, go to the pet shop, look at the puppies, whatever. Something of that nature. So you can actually reinforce the child for playing on their own, being on their own, and and giving you a break.
0: But notice
1: again how we did that. You know, instead of yelling at the kids, leave me alone, I don't want to talk, I can't talk, I'm going to slam the door and so on. You know, instead of doing it negatively, you see, we reset we the stage. We, we're clear about the behavior that we want, and we're clear about the reward that will come from it. And then, of course, we have to be consistent about it.
0: Right. And it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, obviously this works for all kids, but it's probably maybe even more effective for kids on the spectrum because they're so black and white. They're so concrete in their thinking right. and they like the rules and the structure and they want to know what to expect.
1: Exactly. I was just going to say that. You're absolutely right. Now, again, being consistent is is the key to this because you know, if you... So many parents teach the child, unfortunately, that we don't mean what we say. Right. I, I'm willing to bet not that... Of course, no, we we can't document this. That probably 5,000 times tonight across this nation, this is what's going to occur. Mom will be in the kitchen preparing dinner and the child will come in and say, I'm hungry, Uh, I want a cookie. And the mother, of course, will say something like, No, Billy or Susie, Uh, you know, we're going to eat in about a half an hour. You know, if you have a cookie now, it's going to spoil your meal, your, 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 your dinner. Of course, what does the child say?
0: Please, Mommy.
1: Please, Mommy, I want a cookie. And so what does Mommy do? Okay, Mom now repeats her entire position as if the child is deaf and didn't hear it the first time. All right, that's number two now. And the child goes, well, yeah, but Mom, I'm hungry right now, I want a cookie. Now, the third time out now, the parent might not repeat the whole thing, but say, look, I told you you no cookie right now, it's gonna ruin your dinner, now please, all right? And now number four, the child says, but I really want a cookie. and Mom's now getting really frustrated, he said, Look, enough of this. And then the child gets into what I call launch mode. It's like, I want a cookie. Okay, now mom's trying to finish dinner. The last thing she needs is a kid, you know, squirming on the floor, screaming about a cookie. And so what does she do? Take your darn cookie and leave the kitchen. <laughs>
0: That is a very common scenario. You're right.
1: Not not, not to tell me. Behavioral theory is often referred to as learning theory. What did this child learn?
0: It learned to bug its mother until it got what it wanted.
1: Can you blame him or her?
0: No. It worked. Not looking at it from the outside like that. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. You see. So if we're doing these kinds of things, we're, we're, we're not keeping our word per se you know, and, and, and and so on, you know, well, then what do we expect from the kid? You know, the, the kid's going to test your limits, okay? And see if this time you're going to break or
0: not. And once they learn this, like, it, it's fascinating to me how it just, it carries through their, the rest of their life, you know, it's, uh, even now I have a son who's 33 and I have a very unhealthy, dysfunctional tendency to tune out. And so if he needs to talk to me about something and I'm not giving him my full attention, he will politely ask me for that. And if I don't check myself and give it to him, he eventually will blow up. And then he gets my full attention because I'm like, oh, whoa. There
1: you go. Right.
0: You know, that it, once those learning things are reinforced, like it will carry over the rest of your life unless you put a stop to it.
1: Well, I was just going to say he's learned it, but you're also you're also doing pretty much the same thing still yourself. How can we blame him?
0: Exactly. What are your thoughts on temperament and different children and how they respond? Because you know, I have two children. One of them is very easygoing, and you know, responded really well to my sort of hands-off parenting style. And so do you think that different types of children respond to this method better than others?
1: Obviously, you have to adapt it slightly to each child's temperament, but I believe the model works regardless.
0: I think if you're raising your children that way, you're doing a really good job also of being, you know, like a principled human, right? Like a... Uh, person who says what they mean focuses on the things that they want right and they don't you probably have a better handle on your own emotions as well because you're not faced with those escalating situations so frequently either
1: exactly yeah what w- once the kid gets it and that's why it's so nice to start it early of course but truthfully you can pretty much start it at any time but the older they are the longer you have to do it and the harder it is. But if you started early you know, and the kids realize, you know, you know, I mean, well, you know, my, my wife wasn't, I mean, she, we taught and she was a teacher. She taught fourth grade for 29 years. So she got it too, but you know, she wasn't quite as consistent as I was. So of course, you know, they pushed her more you know, than they did me. Only because they knew, you know, dad's like hitting your head against the wall. Mom, you might have a chance with.
0: That sounds like a great way to work as a team when you are parenting children. Um, And when you're parenting children on the spectrum, that parenting relationship is often very stressed.
1: Without a doubt.
0: What are some other parenting strategies that you think would be helpful?
1: Well, very good question once we have this this first phase if you will well implanted where the kid has come to learn and expect you know a positive response to good behavior you're you know you're well into now a, a solid program all right because now the kid Hopefully, you know is is what we call hooked on the contingency. That's behavior talk. You know uh, that okay. He, he he or she likes what's going on. You know, recognizes that it pays off to be to be good and and so on. And and is moving in that direction. Okay. Now then, we can now address what the question you asked earlier in this interview. Okay. Now we can. Take a look at, all right, so how do we want to react to some behaviors, you know, that we're unhappy with? Okay. Well, when we get to this point, we we have a question we have to ask ourselves. Is this behavior dangerous, harmful, destructive, or defiant? Uh, If it is that, uh, we'll talk next about that. But the research shows that about 90-some percent of the inappropriate behavior that kids exhibit does not fall into that category.
0: Say those categories one more time.
1: Dangerous, you know, like, like he's you know, playing with a knife or something. Harmful, like he's, he's hitting his, beating his sister or something. Uh, uh, dangerous, harmful, uh, defiant, you know, it f- breaks a formal rule uh, and so on. You know, destructive, like it, it's putting a hole in the wall. So, okay, those things obviously you need to address right then and there. But again, fortunately, in most cases, that isn't what's happening. What, what is happening is whining, complaining, procrastination, things of that nature okay, that, that drive parents up the wall. So what's the response to that? And what I tell parents is that when your kids start squabbling, that what you do is simply pick, pick up, don't say a word, walk into your bedroom, leave the door open, and sit there quietly at the edge of your bed. And wait thirty seconds. What the parents recognize is that the kids are, the kids will find her or him, and then they bring the fight to him or mom or dad, and they go, well, oh, he, she, no, she started. Eating. And what what should then be realized is this squabbling is once again more of an attention getting. Behavior. Because again, let's take a look. What did the kids learn? From the very beginning, whenever the kids started to squabble, what do most parents do? Yell, get in, get in between. No, okay, who started it? And so what do the kids learn? One, they get attention. And secondly, okay, they also learn they don't have to settle anything, do they? Because mom and dad are gonna do it for them. Is that what we wanna teach our kids? No. Hmm. Remember, we want to build resilience. We we wanna teach them how to settle their own issues. We wanna we wanna talk about self-soothing and things like that, things that they need to do. Why are we doing it for them? All right, so what I'm getting at is that again. As I said before, it's important we have the first phase in, which is the positive reinforcement piece, and the kids are now, you know, enjoying that positive attention. And now, when we see this kind of behavior that's not dangerous, harmful, destructive, defiant, etc., we walk out of the room. I used to time myself out in my room <laughs> and read a book or, or something. Okay, you know, and so what what is now starting to happen you see so what, what they start it's now we start having what I call this push-pull effect okay so when when the child is behaving well we're giving them attention okay and when they're misbehaving we're withdrawing that attention and so now the child begins to vividly see you know the results of their behavior it's becoming very clear that when they follow directions do do what they're supposed to do you know mom and dad are praising hugging you know, giving rewards spending time with them but when they're whining complaining procrastinating etc then I'm, I'm alone and very quickly see, you see know, the kids begin to see This difference. Now, also at the same time, uh, there is what I refer to as logical consequences. Uh, Let me tell you one of my favorite stories.
0: Can we just hold that thought for one second? Sure. Just broke the rule with the dog because she was whining out there and making havoc, so I had to let her in. And now I've reinforced her bad behavior. (laughs)
1: Believe me, those rules apply.
0: Yes. Okay. All right. Let's regroup. Okay. okay so here's
1: one of my favorite stories. Uh, I was working with a family. They had four kids and four four sons. Bing, Bing, Bing. You know, stair steps. Okay. Uh, and the youngest one was, not surprisingly, providing the most trouble. Timmy was his name, and and he was you know, he 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 procrastinated and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, one of his major jobs uh, was, when he got home from school, was to empty the dishwasher. Right? You know, with four kids and two adults, oh, and a grandmother was there. So with seven people in the house, uh, the dishwasher got filled every day. Okay? And mom would come home from work. And, and would you know, begin to prepare dinner, and she needed her dishes and her pots and pans and so forth to do it. And, of course, many of those were in the dishwasher. Well, of course, you know every time, you know, just about, Mom would come home, start trying to you know, make dinner, and, of course, all the dishes and the pots and pans were still in the dishwasher because Timmy, once again, had blown off his job. And we were in this stage now. I was meeting with mom and dad, and we we're doing this parenting training, as I call it. Okay? And we and I was talking about you know, this notion of logical consequences to the child's behavior. She comes back the following week, and before we could even get started, she says, "Dr. Waldman, I have to tell you the story. I just have to tell you." And I said, "Okay." Uh, what, what? And she said, "Well, I really listened hard last week." And, and you really impressed me with this notion of logical consequences, and I said, "Okay." Uh, so what happened? And she said, "Well, I was making dinner last you know, last Thursday night. We were, you know, I was going to make. I'm making spaghetti and meatballs. But as soon as I got home, I was you know, started you know preparing, and sure as heck, there it is. The dishwasher is chock full. But this time, instead of giving Timmy all this attention by finding where he is and bringing him into the kitchen and yelling at him and telling him how unhappy I am and blah, 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 giving him all this attention and this control, I said nothing. So I emptied the dishwasher quietly myself and prepared the meal. So my family was seated around a table. Okay. And and, and and we are kind of formal, so I, I had the plates. First I went to my husband and I put out some spaghetti. I put out a, a, a two meatballs and took a ladle and put some tomato sauce. And then I went to my mother-in-law and did the same for her. And then I went to all my sons, oldest on down, and then I came to Timmy. But instead of putting out a plate, as I did with everyone else, I took the spaghetti and plopped it on the table. I took the meatball and put it right on top. Then I took a ladle with some sauce and poured it over it. And then I stopped there and she said the whole family went quiet. It was like everybody was thinking, oh my God, mom has finally lost it. And then I turned to Timmy and said, Timmy, if you choose not to empty the dishwasher and give me the dishes and utensils to make dinner, then I will choose not to let you have a dish for dinner when it's time to eat. Your choice. And that was the last time she had to remind him about emptying the dishwasher. A perfect logical consequence.
0: What do you think about incentivizing?
1: Well, that's another form of reinforcement. Uh, I'm I'm good with that. That's fine. As long as you do it the the right way. Uh, One, the behavior specified. The behavior is specified. It's not, be, you, know, you be good, I'll give you a treat, or we'll go to the park or something like that. No, okay? Uh, you want to be very clear what the behavior is you're looking for and what the reward is. Okay. And also there's a timeline involved here, you know, so what the behavior is and when it should be done and, and, and so on, and what it should look, look like when it's finished. So we're, we're very clear. If you clean your room the way we describe, your bed is made, the, 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 it's tucked in, everything is off the floor, your desk is neat, your closet floor is clean, and so forth, and you present at 11 o'clock, we'll go to the park from eleven fifteen to 12.
0: So be very specific.
1: Exactly. Now, it's the kid's choice. He or she can clean the room and enjoy going to the park with you for 45 minutes or and so on, or not. Now, sometimes, you know, if you have two kids or whatever, and I did, uh, I'd make this deal with both kids, uh, and sometimes what would happen if one kid bought and the other one didn't. You know, if one parent would stay home with the kid and, and just Nothing, because he didn't earn it, but the other one went with dad and enjoyed himself at the park. And then usually we made sure we had ice cream on the way home.
0: <laughs> yeah, I imagine that was pretty effective.
1: Exactly, you see. Again, the kids are going, oh, God, I made the wrong decision there. My brother got to go with dad, and daddy played in the park, and then they got ice cream on top. See, what's the message? It pays off to be good.
0: Thanks everyone for listening today and special thanks to Dr. Larry Waldman who I'm sure you'll agree is a wealth of knowledge. If you want more information about him, his website is topphoenixpsychologist.com. He has tons of articles that he's written as well as descriptions and links to all of his books. The two you might be most interested in if you were interested in today's conversation is Who's Raising Whom? and then also Coping with Your Adolescent. Those are two books that we'll go into a lot more detail about the topics that we talked about today. Now, if you want to connect with me, I am on Instagram at atypical_parenting. underscore parenting. It's where I hang out. And if you want to send me a message or leave a comment, or just, you know, see what I'm up to, that's the place to be. I look forward to connecting with you guys. And again, thanks for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care.